Well, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> we'll do part two of the sermon entitled, They Spoke with Other Tongues as the Spirit Gave Them Utterance. I'll read from verse 1 to verse 21 of Acts chapter 2. Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible Word. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. <clears throat> but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. So, just note there in your sermon outlines uh, a link to two different sermon PDFs given by Pastor Phil Kaiser on this topic, which I have boiled down into one sermon for us today. So I want to give uh, credit to Pastor Kaiser for the help in this section that I'm teaching on today. So we established last week, I believe, about the tongues of Acts chapter 2. We established the following things. The speaker, or the speakers, those who were given the gift, that person was suddenly miraculously giving, given the ability to understand and speak in a human language they had not previously understood. They were suddenly fluent enough in the language to communicate the gospel of the kingdom to that particular group of people that spoke that language in that place at that time. Next, the purpose of this was to speak the wonderful works of God so those with different languages could receive the message of the kingdom of God right there that day. All those people that we just read about from all those different places with all those different languages, the purpose of this miraculous gift 
was to accelerate the delivery of the message of the kingdom of God to those people who were there at that time. These were real languages that they were speaking, that they understood, that they suddenly knew how to speak. Next, this miracle was in the mind and the speech of the speaker. The miracle was not done in the air as the words went from the person to the hearer, nor was there a miracle done in the ears or the mind of the hearers. The hearers simply heard their own language because it was being spoken by those who were suddenly given that miraculous gift. But are the tongues of Acts chapter 2, which we just discussed, are they the same as 1 Corinthians 12 through 14? Is it the same? Today's sermon will show that they are. I believe that we'll go through enough texts for you to see that it's the same gift being discussed. And so the sermon, as I said, is part two of this. We're going to look at four heads. One, like Acts chapter 2, the tongues of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 are human languages. We're going to look at the evidences from the text in chapter 12, 13, and 14 that these are human languages. Next, we're going to see briefly that Acts 2 is evangelistic and that 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 tongues are used primarily outside the church, not inside the church. And we'll see that from the text. And that tongues is not just a prayer language, as some will say, and that tongues is not a prayer language in the sense of just bypassing your mind and you're speaking things that you don't understand to God. Uh, We're going to show that that is not the case. And uh, then we'll answer the question, do those speaking in tongues understand what they are saying? And again, we'll see that from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14 today. 12 and 14 for that last point. So, moving ahead. Like Acts chapter 2, the tongues of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 are human languages. First of all, first point, the Greek word for tongues that's used in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, and you see them listed there, is the same Greek word that's used in Acts chapter 2. So that's the first piece of proof. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10, and this is in Paul talking about the various manifestations of the Spirit given to the church. And he says in verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So what Paul is talking about here, he uses the same Greek word that's used in Acts chapter 2. That's point one. Next, this Greek word for tongues is the normal word in the Bible that's used for languages. Uh, Pastor Kaiser says, this Greek word for tongues, glossa, is the normal word for languages. In the Septuagint, you can see all those various verses that are listed out there. In Genesis 10, in Daniel 3, 5, 6, 4, and 7, this is the same word that's used for languages in the Septuagint. And also Revelation 7, 10, 11, 12, 14, and 17. We also see the same Greek word. It's used to refer to miraculously spoken human languages at the Tower of Babel, which we looked at last week. That's from Genesis 11, 7. Those individuals were also suddenly, miraculously given the ability to speak different tongues that they had not known, as well as the miraculously spoken human language we've already, we've already looked at in Acts chapter 2. It is used interchangeably with, the, with another Greek word, dialectos, from which we get our English word dialect, and that's in Acts chapter 2 also, that idea of a, a dialect of a language. You know, the people were from all over, and they heard the uh, apostles speaking in their own language, and they were looking at them, well, wow, these are Galileans, And not only speaking our own language, they're speaking in our dialect. They're speaking it clearly for us to understand it really well. Even the nuances there. You know, the dialect, like we speak southern around here, right? Now, I do want to read uh, Genesis 11 again. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, 
that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So as we said last week, and it's worth saying again, Pentecost reverses what happened at Babel. Next, the Greek word for interpretation in chapter 12, verse 10, and chapter 14, verse 26, is the Greek word used for translating human languages. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. And then chapter 14, verse 26. To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy. No, that's, that's not correct. Somebody can look up 1426 for me. We'll, we'll read that in a minute. I, I, I copied it down improperly. When you get it, raise your hand. John chapter 1, verse 42, we see this word for translation used, the same Greek word used in these three texts. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And then John 9, and then John 9, 7, same thing. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing and then in Hebrews 7, verses 1 and 2, we see the same idea. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So you can see the three examples there. Uh, Larry, thank you, brother. First uh, Corinthians 14, 26 for us. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a song, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. So that same word that Larry just read from verses 26 and 27 is that Greek word for translate that I read to you from John 1, John 9, and Hebrews 7. So that's another argument that we're dealing with a language. 28 as well. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and God. So that same word there is used multiple times in these chapters, and it's the word for translate. And so the idea there is, what do you translate? You translate from one language, one human language, to another human language. That's what translation is. The next argument, that this is human language in Acts chapter, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. The word kinds in the phrase different kinds of tongues from 1 Corinthians 12.10 and from 1 Corinthians 14.10. It comes from this word genos. 
from which we get the English genus. That means family, group, race, and nation. You can see how that ties into languages. 1 Corinthians 12.10 says, To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues. And then in 14.10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world. So we see here that Paul is teaching us by the Spirit that there are different family, ethnic group, ethnic group, and national languages. It's a reference to different languages. Another argument that these are human languages in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 that are being discussed. Not a prayer language. Not something pre-rational or supracognitive. Things that are being understood by the speaker as they are spoken. Next. This is a good one. Words are spoken in these languages. We see this in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 9 and verse 19. So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand... How will it be known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. So there's words in these tongues. Verse 19, Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that it may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. What are human languages made up of? They're made up of words. Unique words. Carrying idea after idea. Strung together. This is how we communicate. The tongues in question here are made up of understandable words. These words are understandable to the speaker and to the hearer. These tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 are understandable human languages. Now, one thing I probably should have said to begin with is you had to make a choice how much emphasis to give to this. And I decided to give it this much emphasis because we live in a world that is greatly confused and Praise be to God for the evangelistic efforts and the passion of our charismatic, charismatic brethren who, who disagree with this teaching. I, I just praise God for them and the work that they're doing to take the gospel all over the world. Unfortunately, this false teaching also goes along with them. And so it's really out there, and a lot of really good people who are really good neighbors who you'd love to have as friends believe this. And so I don't want you to be led down a path of untruth regarding scripture and what is going on here because it can be really confusing and it can lead to some um, irrational ways of thinking and behaving next um, tongues communicate human ideas and meaning this is also from first corinthians chapter 14 verse 10 there are it may be so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance that's the word to focus on here that's another one of the arguments that this is a human language This, uh, without significance, Strong says, there's no language destitute of the power of language. No kind of voice is without signification. So, every spoken language in the world, every tongue in the world, has the ability to communicate meaning from speaker to hearer. It would make no sense to use this Greek word to describe tongues if they were not human languages that are meant to carry meaning and communicate with one another. Which is, as we talked about last week, one of the key things that means to be made in God's image. And when we are made in God's image, we, we have the ability in our minds to communicate like this. It's unique to human beings. You might have a parent that tells you to turn the light on, but do they really understand and communicate like humans? No, they don't. Next, three other evidences that tongues communicate in human languages. First of all, for prayer and for singing. All right? 
So 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14 and 15. This is Paul talking about doing these things in another tongue. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. So we see there, Paul is talking about praying and singing in a tongue with understanding. This is human language at work to pray and to sing. Also for blessing and for giving thanks. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So if you're speaking in tongues, you are indeed blessing, you are indeed giving thanks, but the other person can, cannot understand you because they're not understanding the language that you're speaking. But you are speaking a language. They just can't understand you. And then in Acts 2.11, the same thing. We see that the tongues were used to communicate the wonderful works of God. They were used to communicate human to human. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, another important part of the argument that these are human languages is the use that Paul puts to Isaiah chapter 28. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 20 through 23, we get a sense of the context. And in verse 21, he quotes Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12. I'll read from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 20 through 23. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? So, we need to see here that Paul's whole theology of tongues is based upon this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 28. He draws his understanding of what's happening, what, what, what's going on in, the, in their world at that time is, a, is associated with this prophecy in Isaiah 28. Here's the text. For with stammering lips and another tongue he will speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So Paul takes those two verses and brings them together into one phrase leaving out that center section in the beginning of verse 12. Verse 12. Kaiser says about this, Paul is basing the whole of his theology of tongues upon a passage in the Old Testament that everyone agrees was the Assyrian language. If the tongues Paul is talking about is not a true language, then his conclusion does not logically follow. That therefore, verse 22 has no force and would not be a logical necessity unless both the tongues of Isaiah 28 and that's what he quoted in verse 20, 21, unless those tongues and the tongues of Corinth were the same kind of tongues, and that is human languages. So Paul references an Old Testament text that is clearly referencing human languages as the foundation for his argument to the church at Corinth. All right, so what about 1 Corinthians 13.1? This is often a spot where those who hold to the other view will go. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So the claim there is that 
the tongues that are being spoken are the tongues of angels. And often it'll be combined with the idea that it gets changed in the air and the hearer is, uh, because it's such a special language, can understand it. Um, so some, we're going to argue, therefore, that 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are angelic tongues, and they'll look to 1 Corinthians 13 as the interpretive key for this whole section. It's a reasonable argument. But, as we have already discussed, this doesn't add up with the entire force of what we've already seen in Acts, Acts chapter 2 and what we've already seen in, Acts ch in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 14 today. Also, we need to note that if indeed Paul did speak in an angelic tongue, just like human, human tongues, he understood it as he spoke it. Again, understanding is a prerequisite for edification. Okay? So, moving on. Acts chapter 2 was evangelistic. The first Corinthians tongues were to be used primarily outside the church. You see the comparison there? <clears throat> Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, verses 18 and 19. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So you see, he's talking about how tongues are primarily for use outside the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. So we take these two verses and we think them through. We can deduce from them. Look at verse 5 and verse 27 in chapter 14 as well. And we compare these. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So Paul says, I wish you all all spoke with tongues. But then in verse 27, he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. So those two statements, how do we fit those together? Paul places a limit upon tongues inside the church. But in verse 5, we see Paul wishes everyone spoke in tongues. A good understanding of this is that Paul wants them all to be using their gifts of tongues to share the gospel of the kingdom with all those outside the church. This is the teaching, this is the evangelism that is the primary purpose for the speaking in tongues that takes place. But you can see there's also a need for this gift within the church in the right measure, at the right time. And the second part of Pastor Kaiser's uh, last sermon on this, he goes through nine rules of, of using tongues in a church service. And so I think it'd be very helpful for multilingual uh, local assemblies to, to go through that and understand those rules that are given there for maintaining order in the church when multiple languages are being spoken at the same time within the church. But I didn't, I didn't go over that section, but if you're interested, you can see that in the last section of his sermon. All right, next. <clears throat> Tongues is not just a prayer language. Okay, some are going to say it's just a prayer language. Okay, We know it can't be just a prayer language because of what we've already seen. Acts 2, we saw prophecy. We saw teaching. 1 Corinthians 14, 6, we saw revelation, knowledge, prophecy and teaching. 15 through 17, praying, singing, blessing, thanksgiving. 18 and 19, speaking to those outside the church. So 
we, we have to say, I think with, with clarity, that it can't be just a prayer language to God. Okay? Now, could it also be a prayer language to God? In other words, you don't understand what you're saying, and you're speaking a prayer to God, you're uttering that which your heart is full of and you don't understand, and you've got this prayer language that you lift up to God. Um, and so this idea that there could be two things that we see in tongues, right? Because 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, when you look at it, kind of sounds like a private, private prayer language if you just quote that verse. But tongues are spoken to men, not just to God. It's clear that tongues is indeed spoken to men and not just to God. We gave those quotes. 14.2, therefore, in context, means that untranslated tongues are only addressed to God. And therefore, it should not be done in the church. So this is someone who's praying to God in a tongue, not understood in the church. That's between them and God. It's a private prayer to be done in private, not in the church. That's what's being... That's what we're being taught. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. And it adds up with the whole story and everything flows. Do those speaking in tongues understand what they are saying? Now this is a pretty extended section, but I think it's important to see how edification fits in with understanding. And that Paul's focus for the church and our, our focus should be edification. The building up of the church. So let's look at 1 Corinthians and some of these verses that have already been mentioned. I'm going to read verse 1 through 5. And then I'm going to read verse 14 through 17. Okay? Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, verses 14 through 17. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So, the idea here is that many in today's world teach that the tongue speaking in Corinth was not, first of all, they say it's not the same as Acts 2, or they try to change what happened at Acts 2. And then they'll say the tongue speaking in Corinth was not understood by the speaker. Pastor Kaiser says, they base this on a misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. While this could be taken to mean that the speaker does not have understanding, such an interpretation violates the whole context of Paul's argument that nothing is edifying that cannot be understood. Paul says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. That's verse 4. 
The reason prophecy edified the church is because the church understood it. The reason tongues edified the speaker is because the speaker understands what he is saying. And even the immediate context in verse 16 demands such an interpretation. Paul insists, I will pray with the Spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, at your giving of king of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. So, think about it. In verse 14, when Paul says, my understanding is unfruitful, he's not saying he doesn't understand what he's praying to God in another language. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that the understanding that he has within his own mind of what he's praying aloud to God, what he calls my understanding, that it's not fruitful to others who are hearing him pray aloud to God in a language that they cannot understand. So when we have our prayer time here shortly, do you know you're going to be edified? And we've all experienced this. You're going to be, the church is going to be build, built up. So not only are the prayers lifted to God and all the fruit that goes along with that, but you and I are built up by listening to the prayers of others because we understand them. Whereas if somebody stood up and prayed in Portuguese, that person would be edified, but the rest of us would be mystified. So that's what's going on here, okay? Now, about the word mystery. In verse 2, this word mystery is used. And it's another piece of evidence that the person speaking the language understands what they're saying. What is this mystery? It's a hidden thing. It's a secret thing. It's a mystery. Generally, of mysteries or religious secrets confided only to the initiated and not to ordinary mortals. A hidden or secret thing. A hidden purpose. So it's hidden. So note this. The person who holds the mystery, by definition of the word mystery, the person who holds the mystery understands the content of the secret. They're not confused. They're not needing to have something revealed to them. They know the mystery in their mind already. It's a mystery to somebody else. So when the person understanding the mystery speaks it aloud to a second person without understanding, then it's no longer a mystery to the second person who just learned it, as long as they're speaking the same language. But if the first person speaks aloud in a foreign language one not understood by the second person, then it remains a mystery to the second person, and that's what Paul's talking about. Nothing's being changed. There are two people, one gets it, the other doesn't, so the mystery persists. That's what's going on. So it shows us through the meaning of the word mystery that the first person understands it. So here, verse 2 again. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. So he understands. He understands what he's saying. He understands it, but the other person doesn't. He's speaking a mystery to the other people there. All right. So let's look at verses 2 through 5 again. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So, I've already mentioned this, but I want us to note that edification is based upon understanding. This is critical. This is 
like the essence of one of the key points of Christianity. <clears throat> when it comes to speaking with words, there is no edification for anyone, speaker or hearer, if the words are not understood. Now, there are different kinds of languages. There's a language we're going to experience today when we eat the bread and drink the wine. Okay? And it's understood, though. There's understanding that goes along with that as well. We look out at creation. We know that the Bible teaches us that creation speaks to us as well. But in this context, we're talking about languages, spoken languages. And if the meaning is not understood, the notification is not taking place. So in verses 1 through 4, we see an individual speaking in untranslated tongues who does not speak to men, but to God. And then in verse 4, because this individual understands what he's praying, he edifies himself. We've all experienced this. You'll be in prayer to God. And you'll have the word of God before you and you'll be lifting these prayers up to God and you begin to weep with joy. Or perhaps you confess your sin with tears of grief before God and you get up from that prayer, you understood what you were praying to God and you were edified. You were built up in the Lord. Going on, we see then that when prophecy is understood, when it's understood... It speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And so therefore, prophecy is greater than he who speaks with tongues. This is Paul. Unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So Paul's whole point here, the thrust of what he's saying is, you have to be able to understand one another. These are human languages that need to be understood and you're not going to be edified if everyone present can't understand it. And you'll notice it's for the edification of the entire church. So you can imagine what this would look like if you had a church with three or four different groups of people that spoke three or four different languages and you've got one speaker sharing the message. There's going to be that moment where the interpreters are sharing it with those who don't understand and everyone's getting the message and then you go on again. Well, if someone over here has something to say, they need to make sure that everyone else in the assembly can also get the interpretation as well. This is the rule that Paul is giving for orderliness in a multilingual Church, local assembly. Kaiser says, A prophet edifies everyone, whereas an uninterpreted tongue speaker only edifies himself. It's because everyone understands the prophet, whereas only the tongue speaker understands himself. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. That's why verse 5 equates interpreted tongues as equivalent to edification to prophecy. Everyone understands it. And so Matthew Henry rightly comments, what cannot be understood can never edify. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown agree, saying that the speaker edifies himself, quote, as he understands the meaning of what the particular tongue expresses, unquote. And Charles Hodge says, they were edifying and therefore intelligible to him who uttered them. Now I'm going to read an extended quote from Matthew Henry as well, because I think it's helpful. And it shows that uh, Matthew Henry uh, holds this same view. And it is remarkable here that he only compares prophesying with speaking in tongues. It seems this was the gift on which the Corinthians principally valued themselves. This was more ostentatious than the plain interpretation of Scripture, more fit to gratify pride, but less fit to pursue the purposes of Christian charity. It would not equally edify nor do good to the souls of men. One. 
He that spoke with tongues must wholly speak between God and himself. For whatever mysteries might be communicated in his language, none of his own countrymen could understand them because they did not understand that language. Note, what cannot be understood can never edify. No advantage can be reaped from the most excellent discourses if delivered in unintelligible languages, such as the audience can neither speak nor understand. But he that prophesies speaks to the advantage of his hearers. They may profit by his gift. Interpretation of Scripture will be for their edification. They may, may be exhorted and comforted by it. And indeed, these two must go together. Duty is the proper way to comfort, and those that would be comforted must bear with being exhorted. He that speaks with tongues may edify himself. He may understand and be affected with what he speaks, and so every minister should, and he that is most edified himself is in the disposition and fitness to do good to others by what he speaks. But he that speaks with tongues or language unknown can only edify himself. Others can reap no benefit from his speech. Whereas the end of speaking in the church is to edify the church, to which prophesying or interpreting Scripture by inspiration or otherwise is immediately adapted. Note, that is the best and most eligible gift which best answers the purposes of charity and does most good. Not that which can edify ourselves only, but that which will edify the church. Such is prophesying or preaching and interpreting Scripture compared with speaking in an unknown tongue. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to do something that I haven't done before, but I think it's an important thing. And the question before you is, as you hear the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, which I'm going to read aloud to all of us, and I hope you'll open your Bibles and read along with me and look at the words with me, do you find this position condensing? Now that you understand what this position is, and you read, I'm going to read it aloud, do you see those spots in your prior reading where maybe you've had a little bit of questions in your head, a little bit of misunderstanding, a little bit of uncertainty, have those been cleared up now? I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 aloud first, and then chapter 14. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant you know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, 
Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gift, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. The body is in view. The unity of the body, the variety, and yet the unity that we have in the church is in view. And tongues are being discussed in that context. Now to, verse, to chapter 14. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, if you're giving of thanks, at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding 
that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. How is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So, I hope that there with the reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, a little bit of chapter 13, with the understanding in your mind of what's really going on, that maybe that's, what, maybe for some of you, maybe that's the first time you've read through that and every verse actually made sense. Every verse added up in your mind, possibly. Because if you believe in these other things, there's going to be places in there that are confusing. And you're going to wonder what's happening. But the reality of a new language, miraculous language, given to some for the edification of the church explains the whole thing that's going on. So, <clears throat> there, you'll see there at the end of the sermon notes, there's a, a graph, or I guess a little chart picture uh, that I copied from one of Pastor Kaiser's sermons. And the quick idea there is that prophets and all revelations ceased at 70 AD. But the nature of the language used regarding tongues doesn't require that this miraculous gift of tongues would cease in AD 70. So this goes along with the examples, and you can find them in Pastor Kaiser's sermons, of even modern examples of uh, missionaries suddenly miraculously being able to speak another language. And so uh, scripturally, there's not any reason to think that that wouldn't occur. Uh, God did it then, and it looks as though God continues to do it now. But these are not new revelations, right? That's where we have to be careful. This is simply the miraculous ability to speak another language, okay? All right, so some, some questions and points of application. Um, first of all, <clears throat> have you been struck with the importance of communication through this teaching? And how we as being those made in God's image are to communicate. And just how special it is that we can communicate. I think it's easy somehow, maybe I know for me, to take this for granted. 
and not appreciate this part of being human. We've had it our whole lives, right? We communicate. Praise God for the ability to communicate. Praise God for the ability to understand ideas that he gives to us from his word and to meditate upon them and to share them with one another and to feast upon them together with one another and to to participate in building one another up through godly communication. That's the first thing. Next, I wonder, have you considered the importance of your speech in terms of building one another up with our words? Some details. Have you considered how important it is to be clear and understandable with our speech? Um, So what, what does that mean? So that means, for example, have you ever considered how important it is to avoid speech that can have inadvertently have multiple meanings. Right? And so we can inadvertently bring in confusion to a situation. This area fascinates me. I think the original language was perfect. I think the original language that God gave Adam and Eve was unspoiled by the fall. And I think that that language had every single word necessary to convey every single idea that God wanted us as humans to have and to understand and with clarity and with diversity and that our languages today are are fraught with difficulties language has also been corrupted by the fall but for us our communication should be very important to us and the words that we speak we should seek to be as clear as we can. Now, of course, we know that there's metaphor, right? And there's, there's language that intentionally is con- going to convey metaphorical meaning. Or in li- literary purposes, you might uh, write a poem or have a story where there's double meaning. And even in our speech with one another, we can, we can allude to things. I'm not speaking against that. I'm just calling us to consider the importance of clarity of speech. Next. <clears throat> have you considered your words and that our words are, are called to, we're called to use our words to build one another up, right? So, so when we speak, it should be deeply, deeply important to us that our words should be used to, to build one another up, okay? And, and, you know, even when we have to bring, uh, like we talked about with one of our one another's recently, even when we need to bring correction or admonishment into one another's lives, it's still a building up when we do that properly. Right? We're helping one another grow up. And so this gets to evangelism and to discipleship. It gets to our work. It gets to our fellowship that we would use our words to build one another up with the truth. And so the final word by application about the tongue, which will lead into my next sermon... Um, I haven't given a gossip sermon in a time, and I figure it fits uh, here. So in a couple of weeks, because uh, Pastor Evans is uh, scheduled to be here a week from today, and he'll it's scheduled to be preaching. So in two weeks, uh, the sermon will be a sermon, you know, a regularly scheduled sermon about gossip, uh, which I haven't done in a while. I don't know when the last one was. But it's all about the tongue, isn't it? That whole idea. Listen to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and then I'll pray. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. 
For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice at your almighty work from heaven on the first day of the mighty outpouring of your Spirit, Pentecost. This great year after Christ had ascended, And your people were praying and waiting and were of one accord. And they were prepared and ready because of your teaching to go forth and take the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world. But they were met with a very real practical barrier. The inability to speak the gospel of the kingdom in the languages of the world. And so we rejoice greatly that you, O God, tear down all barriers to the delivery of the message of the gospel of the kingdom to the ears of of the people of this world. We rejoice in this great gift of tongues, the ability to speak in new languages miraculously suddenly, to understand and speak in a new language. We praise you and we thank you, O God. We thank you for the revelation of your great might and power in this event in Acts 2. And we thank you for how you use this gift throughout that time to bring the gospel to the ends of the world. Father, we ask that you would grant to us love for your image, love for communication, love for clear and loving speech spoken in truth to build up and that we would rejoice in the fellowship that comes from such great communication. Father, bless us that our tongues would be a blessing to you and to others and that our tongues would not be this fire, this unruly evil, but that instead, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, His resurrection, ascension, and the outpouring of Your Spirit upon us, we would indeed enjoy the great blessing of sanctification to be those who have speech and words that edify and build up and praise You and bless You, Father, all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.